Welcome to another episode of Psyche of Sales, where we get into the mindset and the psyche of top people and top performers. And there's no one who's a higher or better person than you, Simon. Thanks for joining me. Oh, I thought you were going to say a better performer. Well, both, but I wanted to start with the human element first and then we get onto the performance. Thank you for having me. I've been waiting for this opportunity. Oh, the opportunity is uh, is all ours. Simon, we've known each other for a number of years now. Yeah. Um, Simon Hare, I should say, who's Managing Director of Precision Sourcing. Yeah. And if you haven't heard of Precision Sourcing, you're clearly not in recruitment because you guys do a very good job of getting your name out there. And I want to really get into your mindset around sales, sales philosophy, sales leadership, implementation, execution. Yeah. And then I want us to spend a bit of time around this idea around brand and how do you get your brand out there as well. Okay. Why don't we start by saying, tell us a bit about yourself. From the northeast of England, used to be a teacher, and that's where I think my sales career started because I think if you're going to get 30 kids to buy into biology, which was my topic, you've got to be good at sales. And I moved into the recruitment industry 24, 25 years ago now. Um, in London for 10 years, worked for a couple of big brands over there and moved to Australia 14 years ago with my wife, three children, living manly on the northern beaches. You normally find me there near the, the, the surf club and um, precision sourcing, as you know, we, we, we specialize in four pillars. I think it's data, SAP, project services and software engineering. And we operate with what we call a modern recruitment approach, which is about how we access dormant talent um, before others. And um, We've had a lot of success, a lot of million dollar billers, and I've seen through my time in London and in Australia, a lot of recruiters, the good, the bad, the ugly. So I've got obviously a lot of kind of views and opinions on sales. It's something I'm massively passionate about and yep. something I obviously with yourself, we talk a lot about. We certainly do. Um, pretty rare to have uh, an English person in Australia who's in recruitment. <laughs> you must be the only 100%, one. Yeah, I think obviously the Australians struggle with that work ethic side of things. So <laughs> we come over here, not only do we find your country and establish it, we have to keep your economy going as well. So that's a very important part of what we do. Well, we really appreciate the effort <laughs> because uh, no one would have a job in Australia if it wasn't for the English. Exactly, yeah. Nobody would have a phone ringing constantly asking them if they want a job or if they're looking to hire anybody. Who do you use for your recruitment needs? We yeah. wouldn't be able to do without that. But no, look, it, it, it's... Um, as you know, that, that obviously the, the English do are pretty good at recruitment. Yeah. And I think potentially maybe they've been doing it longer over there as well. So that's a more yeah. mature business over there. Um, and I remember when we first started, there was, I think, two or three non-English that were in the team itself out there. But I know that's extended and you've got a very diverse team now. Yeah, we've got a lot of Welsh, actually. But I think <laughs> It's very diverse. Now. Yeah, I think it's important to understand recruitment. It's, I think the Australian market is the sixth biggest in the world behind... I think it's the US, Germany, the UK, France, and Japan. So it's a big industry here, the recruitment industry. And there is a lot of British here. And I think if you're an Australian who graduates here, there's a lot of opportunity. You look at how unemployment is. And the Brits, we come here and we love this place and we want to stay. And a quick way of getting a visa historically was recruitment. And that's why you find that there is a lot of POMs or British here. And it's a quick way if you're good at it, to earn a decent wicket and find yourself living in this beautiful country. So I think that's maybe the attraction more than anything else. I think your, your normal Aussie graduate, you know, they're going, they're going to live in the US. I think there's 25,000 Australians in Silicon Valley. They can live in Europe. They can live in Asia. And then the ones who decide to stay, they've got the top four banks or accountancy firms that are looking to hire them. So even being a tradie here, how amazing is that? You can knock yeah, off at right. four o'clock, never work a weekend in your life. And still make a great income. So it's an amazing country really, isn't it? I'm thinking actually now I might leave and start doing something else. That's all I've uh, thought about. So one of the things and one of the reasons I was so keen to get you on and, and have a conversation is when I called you to ask you to come on, I looked at the phone and it said we've been talking for 22 minutes and we hadn't actually talked about what we'd planned to talk about. Yeah. And we just changed from topic to topic, a lot about business, yeah. a lot about sales, a lot about life as well, which yeah. we should say. I know you're really into your health and your fitness and, and so on. Uh, and you'd make an exception and drink good wine when you're with me as well, which I really appreciate. But we do, we are passionate about sales and I've been described as a sales purist. And I'd say you are as well. Mm -hmm. I also think you're a, a bit of a sponge when it comes to it. So you're both a top performer, a top leader in it, but also someone who always wants to get better. Yeah. I still remember being in Perth, uh, leaving the hotel to a meeting and you called up and you were trying to get a saying right to deliver right, to yeah. someone. 
And uh, my driver at the time, uh, shout out to, to Omar, thank you very much for, for always helping me over there, is he picked it up and every time he'd speak to me, he'd bring it up. Do you remember what the saying was? It was perfect practice makes perfect. That's right. Yeah. So practice doesn't make perfect. Yeah. Practice makes permanent. Yeah. Perfect practice makes perfect. Yeah. And I think that's something that you really instilled in your team, that idea of practice, getting it right, but continue to get right and continue to practice. So why don't we start by saying, do you have a philosophy on sales at all? Do you have something that you sort of stick by? I think if I was going to sum it up in one sentence, yeah, it would be just by being myself, if that makes sense. I think the only thing that we've got that differentiates us is our DNA and who we are. So I think trying to bring as much to kind of any sort of situation, whether it's face-to-face, on a team's call, or on a telephone call by being yourself and giving as much as you can. So my philosophy is being myself, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, and I will say that no one is more yourself than you. Yeah, and I've worked with a lot of people who they've got very much that mask of they've got themselves at work. Yep. They've got themselves when they're on a call with a client and then they've got themselves at home. Like I am what I am yep. with my kids, with my friends. Like that is how I am. And I think if people can adopt that, approach i think they'll have a lot more success as long as they're decent people yes well that's the thing you can only be yourself if you're a decent person yeah. uh, and you're pretty good at what you do and i think you, you naturally are good with people yeah you're naturally curious as well i remember seeing a video of me on stage a number of years ago in high definition at an event i spoke at and i put on a performance and it's one of the best i'd ever spoken yeah and one of the angriest i'd ever been at seeing myself speak yeah because i didn't recognize the person on the stage yeah and I saw someone speak recently as well that, you know, whilst they were brilliant on stage, I can't imagine ever wanting to talk to the person. Like I didn't actually think to myself, you'd love to go and grab a beer with them or I'd love to go have a coffee and pick yeah. their brain. It was more, I enjoyed the performance tick and then move on. Yeah. And people talk about sales, you know, the acting side of things and getting your kind of <clears throat> armor on, if you like, you do have to be very thick skinned for the rejections and whatnot. Um, for me, it's just more of a game. It's like you've got to do the volume and you're going to get rejection. How silly not to think you're going to get every call's going to go. I personally well. haven't, but yeah, I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how silly to think every meeting's going to go amazing. It's like you're going to get rejection. It's, 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 it's like every gym session is not going to be amazing. Yeah, yeah you can have consistency around the volume. And- 100%. And you're going to have variances. You know, some days you're going to be really on. Yeah. Some days the meeting's going to go great. Some days you're going to run the same meeting in the same way and it's going to go poorly. Yeah. And so that idea, as you said, of just being yourself. Yeah. And I think it was John McGrath talked about this idea of why he follows his gut. Yeah. And he says, I follow my gut because if I get the decision right or wrong, at least I can say I followed my gut. But if I ever get the decision wrong and I didn't follow my gut, Yes, that's when I get really angry. I don't know. We've got trillions of senses in our gut. Yeah. And you can follow the process and you can tick the boxes. But if your gut's telling you something's not right, yeah. like what have we survived? Famine and wars and all sorts of stuff's gone on in the time that we've been on this planet. And our gut's telling us something's not right. So you should trust it over anything. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and we're going to do a, a, a series two of this where we just right. talk about gut health with you as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think the other stuff when you talk about philosophy would be, I think in this country, in particular, I think there's a massive opportunity for people. And it, it just, when I moved to Australia, when I moved to London, I told myself, if I'm, if I'm going to fail, I'll be the hardest working failure. Yeah. So I looked at who are the high performers, what are they doing? Just do more than them. Yeah. And then at least if you fail, you know you've done more. So that was kind of my philosophy. And then the other thing I would do is I'd look at what are those high performers doing in terms of their approach to scenarios and situations and just copy. You look at what the iPhone is, it's just some, they've copied the technology and just made it better. So if you can go and find what the high performers are doing, copy it and make it better. That's the, it's not, yeah, well, it's not rocket science, is it really? No, it's not. And I used to joke with my team back in the days to say, you don't have to be a rocket ship to be good at this. And it's don't be, have to be a rocket scientist, but I used to always say rocket ship to see if anyone would pick up on, yeah. on that piece there. Um, but but it, it is, and, and I think, you know, the thing that we get from this and, you know, when we catch up with you and your team, I'm not showing them anything that's not, that's new. Like it's not something that, that no one's ever thought of. Yeah. Like I say this regularly. I said, it's not like someone says, oh, so you think if I get really curious, ask questions and get to the true driver of yeah. what's driving that decision. Yeah. And I help them solve that, but help them get there on their own. Yeah. I understand how they like to be communicated to as a human and I communicate that way. Yeah. And then I value that solution and find it a way that they find it's a good value that I'll do better. 
Like it's, yeah. it's not rocket science, is it? Like people go, okay, well that makes perfect sense. Yet we still sometimes walk into a meeting and we just pitch. Start selling before we've asked questions, yep. open questions, listened, nodded, yep. shown empathy, um, asked people how they are and actually listened to that and actually told people how you are rather than saying, good, good. When people ask you how you are, actually tell them, oh, I'm really tired because my little one's been up all night with croup or I'm tired because I've been on a books weekend to the Gold Coast, whatever it might be, like show yourself. Yeah. Because I think you're speaking to a human who's probably had other stuff that they can relate to. But I think it was you when you talk about where I found that our company's sales went to a different level and our understanding of maybe the science behind sales was when you talked about the different personality types, you know, the driver, amiable, expressive, and analytical, and yeah. then how you adapt your approach to these people. And when we embedded that in our business, where we were able to say, okay, we've got a meeting tomorrow, and I'll be on the way to that meeting. What type of person is this person? And how are we going to adapt to this and what's the approach going to be? And I think that's where you can take it to a different level. Then you mix in love languages. When you understand somebody's love language and then what personality type they are, yeah. you're really kind of being different, I think. You can really adapt yeah. to people. What's my love language? I think your words of affirmation. Okay, thank you. So you could you be all it? of them, actually. Do you want to say something to me now? Uh, <laughs> Johnny, you are amazing. Yeah. You played a big part in our business becoming what it is today. You, you have want to a, talk about what you did? Uh this would come out throughout the, the podcast. I okay. think that's lovely of you, but I don't want to make it all about me, just most of Talk it. Talk about the practice embedding that. You, you know what it is, but it's that thing that you say is, this made the biggest difference, a big difference on our business. Yeah. And this is the piece that I, I want to explore because number one, you are, you're very good at selling yourself. Not selling yourself, but as a salesperson, you, yeah. you're very, very good. Uh, for those who see the video, you'll see Simon, he's extremely charismatic, well-spoken. You, you get to the point quite quickly. You're also really fun to be around. And it's one of those aspects when it comes to sales. Uh, I had this lady once, um, her name was Catherine, could do an acronym better than anyone, like find an acronym in anything. But she said, to gain interest, be interesting. Yeah, I think we just live in a world that's full of Karens and people who take life really seriously. And I think, you know, take your work seriously, take your health seriously, all of that. But like, we're not on this planet very long. Yeah. Like there's a lot of fun to be had. Yeah. And when you're in an office, eight, 10, 12 hours a day, whatever it might be, like have some fun about it. You know what I mean? Like bring some energy to it. And obviously it's a fine line in that corporate world that we, we live in now, but it's uh, recruitment's a tough gig, being in air conditioned offices and, um, you know, working with amazing people, eating lovely food and wine and dining clients and candidates. Yeah. That was, that was a joke. <laughs> and now uh, it is a tough gig in terms of, um, what it takes to be to be good at it yeah. and i think the more fun and energy you can bring to it i think so you look at any of the people in our office now there's a lot of smiling faces there's a lot of people yeah. bringing energy to it my wife was um i worked from home yesterday because my son was unwell and my wife hadn't heard me do reviews on a monday for a long time and she she was listening in the background i think i had eight reviews yesterday yeah she was like oh my god the energy the not like that these people are really good aren't they they're into it they're yeah. passionate they're, they're really and that's what she noticed. It was the energy and how much they were into it and that, like, their open mindset to learning. I've got this scenario, what would you do? Yeah. And I think if people can bring that, like you're in a good spot because it costs nothing to have a good attitude. Yeah, and, and, and I've got so much I want to unpack. We might have to do two episodes for this, but because I've never met your team in a better place. Yeah. And that's not to say you didn't have great people before. You have. You've had some really good people come through. Yeah. You've had some... Uh, uh, people are probably not at the same quality as well who probably don't like me very much because yeah. uh, I always push them quite hard. Yeah. But I, I sort of think they come with their energy and their fun. But I think you've also got the ability to be able to create a culture where that's okay, where that's, you know, it's a good thing. And because recruitment, for those of you who are listening who've never been in a room with recruiters, you know, you have people who need to go to a room to make calls, yeah, right? That's not allowed in recruitment, is it? No. Yeah. No, not ideally. Like, M meaning, I'm not saying you can't go to the room to make a, a private call, but the day-to-day -day picking up the phone, no one's sitting in an office doing this. They're sitting in a room and there's a level of energy about it. A hundred percent, yeah. And I think one of the lovely things we encourage, well, I've always encouraged the team to do is we, we give, we've got a Bible, it's called, which is our, our methodology of how we do everything from whether it be a, a, a first-time call call, to taking a reference, to booking a meeting, to how you run the meeting, like everything to closing a candidate, all the different, it's all in, we're constantly updating it all the time because it's evolving all the time. So we're constantly adding to it and updating and it's there in a document and it's online in SharePoint. 
But I've lost my chain of, train of thought now. What were you talking about? Just about that, that idea of creating an okay. environment yeah. of energy. So, so basically, it is there as a template for anybody to copy how to book a meeting. Yeah. But how you follow that template should be different to how I yeah. Because it'll not sound natural. So if you read the Wolf of Wall Street books, he said what he was able to do was take 200 people from the street and get them to follow a, a script, but not sound like yeah. they were following a script. And that's what I encourage the team to do. If you're from Dublin, use your Dublin language and thanks a million and Yaman and whatnot, yeah. because that's your DNA and how you're different. Don't try and use words that don't come within your vocabulary, be yourself, use, we've got Welsh, we've got Kiwis, and I say kind of use the language, but follow the framework, and that's how you differentiate, and that's how you get into conversations with, where's that accent, accent from, and you'd start talking about different yeah, things. I, I, I had a colleague who kept telling me that every time I'd go into town to work with your team, I'd always, part of me was like so busy going into town for a 90 minute session, thinking, stressing myself out, and then when I left, I'd always leave 20 minutes later, and like when I'm coming back, yeah. it's full of energy saying, I had so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Like the time went through like this. I will quickly pick up that the reason the Wolf of Wall Street was able to yeah. get 200 people and be able to get them to sell like that is because he was selling something that didn't exist half the time. Oh, yeah, he was ripping and, people off. Yeah, and, and I think that's one of the reasons he was able to. And I've got a, a bit of a bee in my bonnet about him. Uh, I got to meet him. Uh, at an event once that someone took me to yeah. and you get a photo with him in a book and um, I grabbed the book for a client of mine and they said I'm ready for the photo and I said to him um, I don't want a photo with you because I don't want any evidence in the world that we've yeah. ever stood next to each other yeah. and I walked off because I do think he's ripped a lot of people off but also his sales methodology is very pushy and very self-driven aggressive yeah, yeah. but about you need to do this yeah. you need to do that Whereas I think that what you're talking about and what I'm hearing is be yourself, be genuine, be authentic, get to know people, get yeah. curious. Like it's more around these, what I would just describe as communication skills. Like do you remember how we met? <clears throat> we met at an event and I was sat next to you on a... The cherry function. Yeah, I remember, yeah. And then we had a chat, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's that moment of was I selling to you or were you selling to me? Just being yourself, being curious, asking questions. Just having a chat. Yeah. Right. And I remember you saying, what do you do? Yeah. And I remember pausing and said, well, we help organizations sell more. Like, for example, what do you do? Yeah. And you said, I'm in recruitment. And I said, so for example, we would work with organizations like you around call coaching, building processes, facilitating offsites and things like this. Yeah. And it was just in my head, that's what I do. I ask, what do you do when I match it to you? Yeah. And then you called me up a few days later and said, hey, we've got an offsite coming up. Would you be able to come and yeah. facilitate it? And that's how the conversation started out of being naturally curious and thinking this will add way more value to you if I relate it to you. 100%, yeah. But I think the biggest thing you left us with, in fact, we work with you every year, don't we? We, we, do, a, we do a lot of sessions on building rapport, which I think maybe that younger generation struggle with a little bit because of their relationships on Facebook or Instagram or wherever it might be. Um, <clears throat> I think the thing that you left us with was that importance of practice. So now we do three sessions a week, 8.41 till nine o'clock, it's a random time, but we do basically 19 minutes, three times a week of role plays and practice because what you quite rightly said, a golfer doesn't just turn up at the open and swing on, a tennis player doesn't just turn up at Wimbledon and throw the first serve and off they go. It's like the importance of practice. So it's a massive part of our business, that role play. So this is the thing, and I really want to make sure that everyone who's listening to this gets it because we talk about it all the time, yet people still don't do it. How long have you been doing this practice for? Eight years, nine years, 10 years. So I'll give you an example. This morning, we had a session. It's the 1st of August. No, it wasn't. It was last night on the wrap-up call, last day of the month. I said, okay, we got August. We went around the team and the wrap-up call these 841 sessions, as we call them, the role play sessions for the month of August, what topics are important for you that we do these sessions on? And everybody yeah. give us five or six topics we got, and that'll basically make up the syllabus for the whole of August. And the idea is one of our strategies, we're calling it horn, which obviously means kind of really double down on that craft and that practice and making sure that what we're seeing, because in a market like it is right now, it's a, it's a good market, it's just not as good as what it was, but that means when you've got opportunities, you've got that chance, you've got that 10 seconds, or you've got a meeting, you've got to make sure that it's spot on and you, you yeah. give your best. 
just to translate as well, it's hone, you were saying. Hone. Hone. Yeah, yeah horn. cool. Just making horn. sure. Just yeah. making sure because people thought it was something else. <laughs> My we'll, get, we'll get subtitles Sorry, up it's, there. It's hone, mate. Hone. <laughs> You've got to make sure you hone yeah. it, yeah? I feel better now that we can say <laughs> that. But I, if we spend the next 20 minutes only talking about practice and yeah. only talking about role play, and I'll tell you, I might be off, and, and do pick me up if I'm off here, but I remember when we first started working together, yeah. there was a small challenge that you're, you had one or two people that were ridiculously high performers, one in particular yeah. that was probably double second place yeah. in the business. You then had a whole bunch of people who sat around a certain number, yeah. but they were very experienced. Mm. And so when you had new starters, they would think that's the benchmark yeah. and the top performer was just different to us. Yeah. And one of the challenges you had is that it took too long to get them to a point where they were profitable, yeah. like that the, the you could get a recruiter that could pay for themselves. Is that fair? Yeah. And then when we started implementing it, I remember number one, we changed the term KPI to minimum performance standards. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. We, we sort of talked about that. And next we talked about this idea of how practice is important. Yeah. Because if you can practice for 20 minutes, three times a week, that's an hour. That's not a lot, is it? When no, you think about it. In a 40, 50, 60 hour week, if you could spend such a, like two and a half percent of your 40 hour week, I might have the numbers wrong. So if I have, I'm sorry. But two and a half percent of your average of your week on making sure the other 97.5% is effective, that is a really small price to pay. I think also, yeah, 100%. And it was also, if we can, role players are awkward. They're worse than the real thing. That's what the team tell me. Yeah. So if you can make people comfortable being uncomfortable and put them in these scenarios and situations where you're, you're making them like, kind of curl their toes a little bit and they're in front of their colleagues and you're putting them under pressure, that means when the real thing comes, it's a lot easier. So there was a bit of that as well. It was really changing the culture and saying, explaining like what you made it really obvious, like listen, high performance coaches, they practice. The All Blacks, they practice. Yep. I think the All Blacks train at an intensity above what test rugby is yep. so that they can smash it in a normal test. And it was about bringing that sort of culture into the business. And we had a bit of pushback because obviously you got a million dollar biller there or a high performer who's smashing it. Who's like, I don't want to do this in front of my, yep. in front of my colleagues. But I think um, yeah, if you can get comfortable being uncomfortable around these role players and you can make it as specific to the situations you find yourself in, I think it's a real differentiator. We, we've started in our business now, we call it teaming. So it's where there's a real life, real life scenario yeah. and a challenge that somebody's got. They explain it to the team and then the team goes away in groups, four or five, they discuss it. Yeah. They work out their approach and then we come back together and we role play. Yeah, brilliant. And that's the way, that way everybody gets to help the person who's got the challenge, but everybody gets to experience the same challenge and how they would approach it. And I think that like, in sales, we, we miss those opportunities oh, too much. We so do it. And my old business partner and, you know, in some ways mentor and a big shout out to, to you, Paul, if you, if you have a chance to listen to this, he, I don't think in, in 11 years, answered a question of, I need advice on how to do this. Yeah. He would say, scenario, okay, you're you, I'm them, go. Yeah. And we would role play and then he'd give me feedback on the role play. Yeah. And what I found is sometimes I do the role play yeah. and I just get it right. Yeah. He'd say, great, just do that. Like yeah. imagine the confidence I walk in to that session, that meeting, knowing I've just nailed it in a role play. And let's say I got it wrong. He gave me two pieces of advice, said, now do it again. Then I get it right. Yeah. I've solved it and I go into the next one with confidence. Yeah. Like try and tell me there's a more effective way of helping someone. I think also sales leaders, you know, when you when you say to them, well, tell me your approach, tell me how you, rather than giving them the answer, what have you got planned? Yeah. And they get it 70, 80% right. Just say to them, that's amazing. You've yeah. smashed that. Don't give them that little correction because you know what that confidence, you've got this. And I think that kind of words of affirmation, that pat on the back and saying, you know, that sounds amazing. 100% feedback. Yeah. It should be strength-based. Yeah. You know, we should be letting them know that you, th these are the things you do well. Yeah. And some people, they go from the psychological piece going, oh, because you're feeding their confidence. No, no, no. I don't want you to ever change the stuff you do well. Yeah. I want you to stick with it. So you need to know what you're good at. Yeah. Like I know that there's a whole bunch of things I need to get better at, but there's a few things I'll never change because no, 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 I get more right by doing it than I do wrong. So no one will ever get me to change that. Exactly. So I'll stick with it. And so people need to know that. The other thing is, and my memory uh, isn't always clear, but it wasn't necessarily the top performer that had the biggest issue. Yeah. It was the next level down. Yeah. And it was, they got a bit intimidated because we're saying, well, show me what you do every day. 
And I find this really funny that people are supposed experts in what they do. Great, show me. Well, it's, it's not a real situation. Okay, so pretend it's real. Oh, but it, but it's, it's inauthentic. Okay, we'll do it this time, but do it authentically. Yeah. Like, and, and I remember stopping a group years ago and I said, do you think it's inappropriate for me to ask you to demonstrate what you do 15 times a week? Yeah. That you get paid a significant amount of money to do and all I'm asking you to do is just show me. Yeah. In a safe environment. Like if yeah. I grabbed it, I used to use Adam Scott, but I don't think he's, maybe he doesn't win as many tournaments anymore. But, but a great golfer. If I pulled them out now and said, show me your golf swing. Imagine them saying, oh, but this isn't a golf course. Yeah. This isn't real. Yeah. They would just show me their swing. And we want people to treat sales like that, like it's a profession. And I think you have a, need to have a culture where it is a safe place where people are not going to laugh and make fun of you. And I've been guilty of that in the past, yeah. And um, I think, well, yeah, 100%, yeah. And I always I would go first. And um, obviously loving being center of attention, but I think always, you know, if, you, if you're willing to be vulnerable yourself and say, listen, I'm going to give it a go and I'm going to probably not do this perfect, but you'll give it a go. I think that, that really works. That kind but, of but you saw me role playing in front of your group. I've never yeah, been a recruiter and I still do it to every time now I will sit there and I'll role play because we're all trying. Like I always talk about it. It's like we're at the park and we're kicking your footy around. It, if it comes off the side of your boot, who cares? Yeah, and not every call is going to go perfect. Not every... You're not going to overcome every objection. You're not going to smash every single meeting. You're not going to, like, that's the human side. It's like, it's, it's like, yeah. But if you practice, yeah, you're going to have more chance of success. So <clears throat> perfect practice makes perfect. That's right. I love it. I love it. So you've talked about leadership. Yeah. And the thing that I often hear is that it, from a sales meeting perspective, people will say, oh, we don't do the sales meeting anymore. It was getting stale. Yeah. Or, yeah, we used to do role plays, but we got really busy and it stopped becoming the focus. Yeah. Yet for eight or nine years, you've been doing this. And I've yeah. been talking to a couple of clients of late and they were telling me all the reasons why they don't role play yeah. anymore. They used to yeah. and they were doing great. Lockdown, I'm guessing, was the big thing. Then the market went crazy. They've had loads of success. Yeah. come back and now it's just not a focus. And there's been other things that have gone on in their organization. Yes. But things that get in the way, and, and I still sit there and say, but what are you doing from a sales team perspective that's more important than getting better at your craft? Yeah. Like you have 10 people, 20 people, 30 people, but they're not spending any time getting better at what they do. Imagine the impact of an hour a week times 30 people. Johnny, it's got to be like, I like eating, so I brush my teeth every day because I want to have clean teeth, but also my teeth are important because I, I want to eat and I want to eat for a long time. Yeah. And that's how important it is. Like, yeah, yeah. That's honing my craft of my teeth. Why, really why, weird analogy, yeah, but yeah. it's like... No, it's so true. It's a perfect it's like, analogy. Like, yeah. like, why have you stopped brushing your teeth? I got really busy. Exactly, yeah. I've had a lot on uh, and I found more important things to yeah, do. so I don't brush my teeth. Yeah. That's really good. I really like you it. You like that analogy. What about if your team doesn't like role plays or they push back? So we're fortunate in that it's just a, such a part of our culture now that we don't have that. You'll see some people who are uncomfortable with it, yeah. but they're brave. We talk a lot about 10 seconds of courage. Like it's a safe environment where people can really mess up yeah. and we don't make fun of them. What it highlights is, right, there's something to work on there. Yeah. Um, when you started working with our business, we didn't have a culture like that, but it was a commitment to like, okay, we're going to explain why this is important and we're going to do it. And well, if you remember, actually, and you were a big driver of this, we didn't tell them. We asked them. Yeah. We asked them where they wanted to be, yeah. where they were now, and what would be important to go from where we are yeah. today to where we want to get to. Yeah. And part of it was we had to be better at selling. And then we said, well, how do we get better at selling? And they said, oh, well, we could do sales training. Great. One. What else can we do? Yeah. Oh, we could get a process. But yep, what else? And they said, well, we need to practice. Yeah. And I think the other side of things is, I'll go on a lot of meetings with the team and I'll say, what do you want me to be like on this? Like, what part do you want me to play? And- David Brent. But to, yeah, <laughs> but depending on what level they're at, I'll, sometimes I say nothing. Yeah. I'm there as a comfort blanket or because the MD's turned up or whatever, brings a different angle. Other times, depending on the level, I might, I might say more, but I always ask, what did you notice about how I answered that question? How would you now change your approach to that question? Yeah. And that's coaching on the job if you like and like we've got phone systems where you can listen in and we never go straight in when we're speaking to somebody and say that was a really bad call yeah you need to do it like this way we say how do you think that went how do you think it could be improved what was good about that call well done encourage yeah that's brilliant i agree 
How do you think it could be improved? Would you like some feedback on how I think you could improve it? And we ask for the, yeah. you know, if, if the, the feedback is welcome and, and then we tell them. And I think that's really important. Back in the day, I would be straight and, you know, that call was a bit of a shocker there and you'd focus on the negatives and yeah. focus on, and people in a kind of around their colleagues, they don't take that on board. They're just like, could you just shut up? The interesting thing is you're not doing that because you're trying to hurt them either. No, you you're doing do it well. because you want them to do well. Yeah. You want them to improve. It's just the probability of them taking it on well and actually improving is yeah. really limited. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, we had a guy on the podcast, uh, Ali, who was talking about uh, the idea of like give people the freedom to break things mm. just to go out and try. Well, the first thing that's going to stop them trying is by knocking them down when they do. And I think the best place to break things is in role plays. Practice. Make all your mistakes. And when our when people mess up in our role plays, we say that's why we're doing this. Yeah, yeah. Like, like we don't expect it to be perfect. I love that question. Do you mind? Uh, would you like some feedback on how you could get better? Yeah. Or whatever that question we asked. Like, yeah. That's how I took it as. It's just such a powerful question. Yeah. There was a, a book I I didn't read actually. I listened to it. I'm not a big audio book person. I, I normally you know either read but and listen to more podcasts these days. Yeah. But I was listening to Nine Lies About Work. Okay. And it talked about this this idea of coaching, and that if you come to me with a problem, and I remember one of your team leaders actually had this, that the people next to him would keep coming to him with problems. Yeah. And what would he do? He'd solve them, and he was enabling them. Yeah. And he loved it. And that's the power, isn't it? It's they like, loved I just it. help somebody. Yeah. But actually, he's not. He's enabling the addiction, and they're seeing him as like the parent who comes and fixes the problem. And he's not doing it again because he's trying to hurt them in any way. He's just yeah. trying to help them. Yeah, because it's probably quicker. Much than quicker. The other ways, yeah. But actually, what's the saying? Give a man a fish and they'll eat a meal. Teach a man a fish and they'll leave forever. Yeah. So it's exactly. I thought you were going to go. Uh, a problem shared is a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it would have been more. That's fun. true as well. It is true. It yeah. is. Uh, but you would have done it with a nice accent, so yeah. it would have been much more powerful. But I remember us having the conversation with him. But what this book goes on to say is that if someone came to you with a problem and you solve it for them, what you've done is you've released that dopamine in yourself yeah. because you've the solved the problem for yeah. them. So you feel great. They walk away and whilst their problem's solved, they walk away not feeling great because that problem showed them that they can't do this themselves, which means the next time something comes up, their confidence is a lot lower than it would have been otherwise and they don't feel confident going through that. Yeah. Whereas this has this, it's, it's quite a different method, but you come to me with a problem and I say, Simon, before we go to that, and I promise we'll get there, right? What are three things you've done really well today? Three wins. Yeah. Can be anything. Or three this week. And and someone listening to this, and, and apparently what that does, it, 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 it will release dopamine. Yeah. It'll get you creative, get you thinking, and now you've got a better mindset to be able to solve a problem. Now, yeah. the problem you came to me with, Simon, have you ever come across anything like that before? You have? What did you do last time that helped you overcome it? Great. So what do you think you could take from that to use this time? Yeah. I could do this, this. What else could you do? Now, if you want to go a little bit further, so you're just using, I've done nothing yet, and you are solving this problem. Great. So what would be a good thing for us to do to check in to make sure it's worked properly? Yeah, yeah. So we should chat again in 48 hours? Great. So you're setting next steps. I went in, because I do this, and this is the execution piece I want to talk to you about. I tried it that morning yep. on some coaching <laughs> sessions. I've got a problem with a staff member. They're doing this, this, it. Great. Before we get there, three things you've done really well. I haven't done anything well today. Think of something. You know what? I had a healthy breakfast. Great. That's a huge one. How do you feel after that? I feel really, really good. What else have you done? Well, I'm asking you about this, which is probably good. That's a huge win because you're humble enough to want to get better. Anything else? Well, actually, yeah, one of my team members did this really well. Well, that's really cool. How does that feel? So have you ever come across this? And we went through that whole process. Yeah. She solved it, sent me a message afterwards and said, I forget how good I am at this. Yeah, it's that imposter syndrome as well, isn't it? It's like if, you know, if I went to 10 of your colleagues and said, what's Johnny's superpower? Give me one thing. And we went around 10 of your colleagues. How are you going to feel? Leg press. Yeah, leg yeah. press, bench. Um, so that's really important, yeah, because we, we, we're constantly looking at how people could improve or do more or do better. Actually, how about accepting people for what they are and focusing on their strengths? I think um, I used to get a lot of emails sent to me, and Simon, you're good at emails and responding. Can you help me with this? And what I soon realized was I spent a lot of my time doing that. So I would, you know, I did a coaching session on it. Yeah. 
But I also, when they started to email me, I would say, no, can you send me what you think the response should be based on the coaching, you know, where the notes are in the Bible and read that, send me what you think the response would be. And if it was 60, 70% right, I would reply, that's amazing. Yeah, send it over, send it across. Or I would tell them, sometimes you'd get an email and be like, oh, that needs ripping a pop. I just tell them one thing, yeah. focus on one thing, you know, put it into three bullet points, whatever it might be, yeah. rather than giving them three or four different pieces of feedback where it's scrambling their brain if you just focus on one thing. And that's why you'll find a lot of salespeople or people who get in their career in their 30s or 40s, they'll say, oh, there was this time and they'll remember a story. Yeah. And they told me that always do X, Y, Z. And that's because it resonates when you talk about one important factor. Yeah, it's so true. And I, and I you, the beauty of being around clever people like you is I learn a lot. No, it's true though, so You know, we've known each other for years, right? Um, I do a lot of emailing and messaging on behalf of clients and friends and things like this. And I help them deal with multiple things in their life that they're dealing with through communication. Of course, it comes easy to you, but it's actually, it's a skill, it's a craft. It, it is, and it, and it is interesting that I used to do a lot more of the, that's doing well, and then and other times now, if I'm busy, I'll go, give me your phone, and I'll send it, or I'll say to a client, I was out the other day, about to head uh, for a, a dinner, and I said, I'll just text you what you need to send to the, this yeah. person. And I did it and, and I did, it, it just hit me that I'm not helping them in any way. But I, what I've done is, here's the response. Yes. What I want you to tell me is why is this response? Yeah, you're right. Better than your response and how are you gonna use this in the future? And the response is generally, well, I'm gonna save this in my drafts and I'm gonna use it for all my- Brilliant, but, but understand the structure as yeah. well. And one of the things, um, one thing I mainly do now is I say, you send me yours and then I'll rework it. Yeah. And often I'll I'll quickly read it. I'll be responding with, this is great. Couple of small structural pieces or something. And then when I realize I've changed the entire thing, you yeah. go, that's not helpful. So then I say, structurally, I'd like you to bring the ask up front. I'd like you to take the body into three bullet points not the whole story and what's the hook of why they should or have to meet with you. Yeah. Great. Come back with that and then we'll do it. Uh, otherwise I'm literally saying it's great and I've ripped the entire thing apart, which is suggesting it's not great, which is probably inauthentic. And you taught us this as well. What do you want the person to think who's receiving that email or that call or that mean? What do you want them to feel? Yeah. And what do you want them to do? So we talk about that a lot as well. We've got a big meeting tomorrow actually. And today when we were planning that session, because you also talked about, we've got three of us talking to this, three clients actually, it's a big opportunity for us. And you talked about, you know, the importance of the chemistry between the people who are presenting and, you know, who's doing what slide and who opens it and how you interact shows that you are or aren't a team, a bit like a pit stop, you know? Yeah. So today we were talking about what do we want them to think? What do we want them to feel? What do we want them to do? And it was really important that we got that out and that helped us put the objectives in and what we're gonna include and not include and who's gonna do what part and you're good at that part and you're kind of yeah. divvying out the slides and working on that. Like to the point where we helped a group on a pitch and there were, there were two different companies that have a JV together and they're up against global companies that do all of that themselves. Yeah. And so the rub, yeah, was, the rub was that why would we need you? You're two separate companies. And from what we hear, it's a JV out of convenience yeah. anyway. You don't really work together. So they were in Singapore working on a deal the week leading up. And I may have told you this before. So we, um, I got them to take some photos out front of the buildings they're looking at. But when they went for a beer afterwards in Singapore, I went for a few wines and Singapore slings to get some photos as a group. I said, I'd make sure that it's not your company, their company in the photo, yeah. make sure it's <clears> one by one, clever, yeah. put your arm around them, things like this. So in the week leading up all over LinkedIn, like they're probably up to their LinkedIn by 400%, you know, just on this, but, but up on the LinkedIn, it, it's saying we work together. And then when the pitch itself happened, where they sat, we were really critical. And then we changed the way they would refer to each other. So rather than say, and Simon's going to talk to you about this, Instead, we were practicing saying, and Cy's gonna, sorry, Simon, making it sound like we're so familiar, I we're can't team. help but call you by your yeah. nickname. Simo in Australia, isn't Simo, it? Simo, that's right. But the one thing that, that I, I, the feedback they got is we didn't realize how connected you guys yeah. were and how well you worked together as a team. Now, whether they were right or wrong about them being a JV, it's almost irrelevant because we take communication by impressions. Yeah. Right, And if the impression is that you can't hand over to each other properly, then you're not a team to them. 
I think you're being judged 55% of the time on not what you're seeing. Physicality. It's how you're looking. 100%. Yeah, so I think- um, 38% is vocal. That's an unfortunate part of the, the world we live in. It drives me mad and I talk to our team about that and the importance of you know the dress code and how you present yourself. And they push back on me a lot of the time, you know, and talk about, um, that know, we can change the world. And I'm like, okay, good luck, but how about listening to me and adapting and just kind of understanding yeah. that you're being judged 55% of the time on how you actually look. Yeah. Unfortunately, and that's that physicality side of things, which is really important. As I'm uh, looking at how I'm dressed compared to you as well, so yeah. um, no doubt that's cashmere as well. Is that right, son? <laughs> <laughs> you always look good. I'll give you that. You always look good. Um, but it is interesting, right? Because it, again, we do get this mindset of I don't need to wear a shirt anymore. I wear a yeah. t-shirt. I wear jeans. I wear runners. I can wear shorts to work. All these things, and you can. We're going to live in a world where you're allowed to do yeah. a lot of these things now. The question isn't, can you? It should you. How will that make the other person feel? Yeah. Right? Excuse me. So I know that certainly for a podcast, I wear a T-shirt or a jumper or something like that because I want it to be casual. I want it to be relaxed and, and I don't want to feel it. But if I was to walk into one of the large bank clients dressed like this, yeah. I wouldn't feel comfortable either. Yeah. And so... Um, it is a thought, and you always are impeccably dressed, but you don't, I don't mean suit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you dress for what's right. Like you can dress casual. Like it's, I've seen you in polos and t shirts and yeah. things like this, but you just put thought into how it will impact the situation. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm a leader in the business. So I think I have to set the standards. I like dressing well, it's respect. That's the way I was raised. Yeah. Clean shaven every day, basics. And also, I think. I always think about what's the audience, who we're going to meet, who am I going to interact with that day? Yeah. And I think if you can always try and be one up of the audience you're interacting with, just as a kind of baseline, I think, you know, if everybody's going to be wearing suits and double collar, you just put a handkerchief in. Yeah. Or you wear a bowler hat. Yes. I, but you, you kind of just go one up. Yes. And I think that's kind of what I was always told. I think culturally now, that's really hard. It is. And we've got a different generation that don't buy into that. And lockdowns and stuff didn't happen and um, didn't help with the tracks with bottoms and that vibe and you know you've got somebody who can look amazing in a black t-shirt and then you've got somebody who can look terrible in a black t-shirt are you suggesting me not at all but i knew you're going to get insecure about that you look amazing johnny there's your words of affirmation so i think it's difficult it's really and i've nearly given up at work on this we've got our dress kind of thing and it's really difficult eh? well, here's a question for you and if your team members listen to this, yeah. how many deals do you think you've lost by dressing well? None. Yeah. I, I, I still remember one of my first meetings in Australia, and I remember the HR director calling me back, and she said, I remembered you because of how you were dressed. You wore the double cufflinks with your daughter's face on. And she said, that, I remember that. Yeah, wow. And she said, you stood out. Little did she know that you hadn't had kids but, at the time. It wasn't your daughter. It was just someone's random. Yes. That's a joke. Yeah. But somebody else listening to this now could say, well, you know, me wearing my cap backwards, I could have stood out. And so I don't. Yeah, look, it, it is interesting. I, I, I've, I've spoken to fund managers before and they'll say, oh, well, we argue in front of a client and they'll say, um, but isn't that show that we're strong about our opinions? And often I'll say, well, if you're managing $10 billion, it does, but you're just starting out so it just looks like yeah. you're you don't know how to work page. together yeah. yeah and i think sometimes it, it's how do these things happen yeah and i think that you know you and your, your business partner jill yeah very different people get on very very well extremely strong trust yeah. there that you're not trying to be the same yeah, yeah right and therefore your interactions come across great yeah whereas other people are different people and it just looks it, it's almost worse like it, it adds a real negative because it just looks like there's no alignment behind what you do yeah i think it's also being really comfortable with each other than knowing your strengths knowing that she's amazing at things that i'm not so good at and i think it's just being aligned with your values and yeah there's no politics or kind of issues around it's just being a team isn't it save all those for rick too yeah there's, but, um, I there's think a line but but teams kind of I've been in business with Jill for what, 14 years now? Oh, wow. and, and, and of course we've had disagreements. Yeah. And, and that's to be expected, but it's as long as the respect is there and the honesty and you're being truthful to each other and you're doing it in a way whereby it's not nasty or it's not addictive and yeah. that type of stuff. I think 
vindictive, I think was the word I was looking for, not indictive. Um, I think that's really important. Like the All Blacks don't lose a game and sit there and kind of pussyfoot around it. You've got to be honest with each other as well. 100%. And, and I think and um, the truth works. It's just Langer said to us recently. I think you got that from Alex Ferguson. But it's how you deliver that truth, yeah? If I was to tell you that your T-shirt's a shocker, yeah. that would really hurt your feelings. But if I did it in a way that was a little bit more empathetic. Yeah. I probably wouldn't wear a T-shirt again. Yeah. Like I'd that. Probably be topless right now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a shirt, I was thinking. But... Um, <laughs> So, so it brings it to this, right? And you, and you mentioned the All Blacks a few times and you've yeah. mentioned high performers a few times. And yeah. the challenge is the All Blacks at the moment are, are a significantly better rugby side than the Wallabies. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. Do you think the Wallabies work hard? Do I think the Wallabies work hard? I think they could probably get absolutely monstered off Eddie Jones, yeah. Yeah. So, so we talk about how hard the work, All Blacks work. Yeah. And... They're sitting there thinking to themselves, I'm sure our trainer is training us at the same level as theirs. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what is it that separates top performers versus mid-performers, core performers, low performers? So I think it could be the small things. So it could be their recovery, their rest, their nutrition, their sleep. So they might be giving 100% to them, but actually it's the little things. It's how they're recovering, their sleeping, their nutrition. You've, then you've got working clever. Because I was going to say, I, I, while I get that, I also think to myself, they've got someone who's dealing with nutrition, dealing with sleep yeah, and things like this. I'm, I, I'm thinking of, translate it to recruitment, that your million dollar rider is probably working the same 40 to 50 hours as your two to $300,000 rider. Yeah, 100%, yeah. So what oh, is it? Maybe at the beginning, the million dollar recruiter was doing more hours than them, 100%. Okay. So, so let's let's unpack that yeah. and let's go through it. So what are they doing differently at the beginning that changes things? It would be down to they just want it more. They want it more than it comes from their upbringings, it comes from the chip on the shoulder, it comes from the separation of their parents' marriage and their upbringing in a council house on, a, on, a, on an estate in Liverpool or Newcastle or wherever it might be. It comes from somewhere and it's a drive which means that they're gonna do more to get what's important to them, to give them a life or to give their kids a life yep. that they didn't have. Okay, and so, I that, think so I number see one, so let's go then, motivation then. Yeah. They've got something that drives them. Yeah. And that can come from a wealthy person as well. Yeah, yeah, right? 100%, yeah. But the motivation is part of it. That gets you to work, yeah. that gets you there. Yeah. What then is it that they're doing once they're there? So they've got an open mindset to learning, they don't think, right, I've built a million dollars, I've now smashed this. Their eyes are open and they're constantly looking at where can I steal that? What can I read? What can I teach? What can I learn from? What is that person doing over there that I can take from them and implement into what I do, into my playbook? Yeah. So they've got this open mindset to learning and, and honing their craft and improving. And I think they consistently turn up. Yeah. And it's like the gym, you can't smash it every day at the gym or whatever it is that you're doing, but you can turn up. Yeah. And just by turning up, and I, you know, these people who claim that they're giving 100%, 100% of the time, like it's just, it's, yeah. it doesn't happen. But if they're turning up and they're trying their best and they're giving it a go, that's better than the sick days. That's better than the... You know what's interesting? I, I, I've heard this before that the difference between their top performance and their bottom performance yeah. isn't huge. No, 100%. Whereas you've got people who are low to mid performers who can walk into a meeting and just kill it. They can, they can land a big deal. They can have a big lift and have a really good week or a really good month. But then they can have it where they just don't turn up at all. Yeah. And that idea of the, the, the difference between your best and your worst, the, the smaller we can make that, yeah. the higher performer will be for a long period of time. Yeah. And I think controlling what you can control and not getting lost on, I've got this big target or I've got this... Actually turning up every day, being in the now and focusing on those small little wins. What am I going to do in the next hour? Have I got a day plan? What's my focus for the week? What am I kind of being able to, I call it the meerkat. You're down and then you come up and you zoom out and you take a breath and what's the bigger picture and then you go back in. I think that's really important. Yeah. That uh, you could have done more with your physicality than to demonstrate a meerkat. That's what, like that? there we go. Yeah. That's what we need. Will, have we got that? 
Beautiful. Love the meerkats. Love the meerkats. Yeah. In fact, they are one animal at the zoo yeah, that I, I will spend ten minutes time. Yeah, you have minimum. to. Yeah. And the gorilla? Always. Yeah. You've got to do that. Um, I uh, Just hearing you speak about that, I think two things come to mind. Number one, I think people listening or watching are going to think, I can see why Simon's a really good leader at what he does. And the more we talk, the more I'm thinking, well, I will say this, you spend more time with your team than most leaders I know. And when I say time, I don't mean hanging out with them, having a drink with them, having a coffee with them and so on. I mean reviews. Yeah. I mean, you know, how often do you review your team's performance? They'll either sit down every Monday, either with their leader, and I'll, I'm picking up on some leadership responsibilities now for a team. So they'll have a review, every recruiter, for half an hour every Monday, and then they'll have a more formal 45 minutes every um, month and then they'll have a good, we call it a quarterly sprint, sprint plan. That'll be a good hour every quarter. Yeah. So that's, it's a lot, yeah. Yeah, but again, we, we had Josh Kennedy from the Swans in and he talks about the idea of betterment and how you're constantly reviewing what's working, what's not working and how do, how do we work against it? So I think, I think number one, that a lot of people are gonna be hearing it and thinking, gee, he's good with people you are. And I remember you shot me through once. We were walking past. You said, these are the five questions I'm asking everyone at the moment. Yeah. And I just hit back with, change the order yeah. right? Um, <clears throat> of that. And it was, yeah, both tongue-in-cheek and I believed it. Otherwise, yeah. I wouldn't have told it to you. But I just loved that you were having these conversations with your people regularly. Yeah. So I've had, I'm having this week and next week, it's start of a new financial year. Yeah. I think it's five questions I asked them. We go for a walk in the domain. It's an hour. And ask them what they're excited about this new financial year, what's keeping them awake at night, what would they change in the business. Um, there's two other questions I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Right? But, um, but I ask them that and I send them the questions before and we walk and there's something about me and you are stood here now or sat here now opposite each other. Yeah. It can be a little bit uncomfortable, confrontational maybe. Yeah. But if we were walking and we're facing the same way or we're driving, yeah. I bet the conversation yeah. Will be even better. We should have done this at Felix. We should have done more comfortable. We should have went for a walk, maybe. But I think yeah, um, right. I think, and by the way, our reviews, we have structures and we, we use a system called Employment Hero and it, it's on there. But we don't necessarily follow the questions that are in there. It's it's very much again, it's about, you know, how was your weekend? It's a conversation. What's going on in your life? Yeah. From a work point of view, how did you do last week? What you're proud of? What could you have done differently? Hmm. What's the focus for this week? And I, this is a great question for salespeople on a Monday. If it gets to Friday, 5.30, and you're just about to shut down that laptop, what are the two or three things that would make you feel really proud about what you've achieved? And take away a lot of the kind of closing deals and kind of the, the stuff that sometimes is out of people's control. Make it about actual outcomes they've got control of. And I think if you can focus on, I think, as, I'm trying to think, as a John... Wooden, the, the basketball coach, he talks about the things that you can control and working on those small details. So we talk about that a lot and, and what a good week looks like for somebody and what is a good week for you is very different to what's a good week for me. And I think it's important to understand that. Okay. So that's one. That, that was the, the big piece I wanted to get out from a leadership piece. I think the second thing that, that comes across is, is this, there's a lot of planning that goes in. Yeah. And I don't mean you're sitting around for 12 hours a day planning because that wouldn't be your style. Yeah. But but every person in your team is quite clear on their intent for the day, aren't they? Yeah. Um, 100%, yeah. So they're with their, with their leaders will in the morning, what's the plan for today? And then with some people, that's 30 seconds. I need to do X, Y, Z. Good. There's an intention there for those more junior people. Yeah. And this is where it's really important as leaders. If you don't have that conversation with somebody. Yeah and you don't understand what their intention is for the day, and they go off like that, where's the camera? They go off like that. Yeah. That could be a day lost, but by having that conversation, and you might check in with them again, you pull them in and make sure that's not a day lost, and that's really important. What is your plan for today? What, what's your intention? What, what does a good day look like for you? And there's something about you verbally communicating that makes a commitment, and it's not, it's not being micromanaged because actually that leader might be able to say, well, listen, I've got an idea that could make that better. Yes. could save you some time. And that's where you're embedding coaching and craft on people as well. Some people don't like it. They see it as being micromanaged. It's like you're helping someone. I had this conversation with a couple of members of your team actually a number of years ago. And that was, sorry, in Perth that day. Um, and they said to me, don't you think this is treating them like children? And I said, 
being accountable to what we said we were going to do. Yeah. I said, that's the most adult conversation you can have. Yeah. Like my, ch- my children, like I think of Lottie and Isla, if they said they were going to do something, I'm going to clean my room and I walk in there 10 minutes later and they found something to play with and they're playing yeah. with it, I'm not going to sit there and say, hey, Isla, you said you were going to clean your room and you're not cleaning it. Tell me about X, Y, Z. Mind you, I probably would have a similar conversation with you if I'm really honest with you. It's just saying what happened and, and I've been yeah. doing it a lot harder. But if someone is saying to you, these are the 20 people I need to get in touch with this week yeah. because they're going to make the greatest impact on my business, saying, great, how did you go with those 20 calls? Or asking them on Monday, how many of the 20 have you got to? To me, is is I'm working with you. I'm helping you. It's the old blocks again, isn't it? It's like yeah. they they go into a training session, or they go they, or they're about to start a game without a team talk, or yep. what's the plan? Or how are we going to approach? Everything's this? intentional, right? Everything, yeah. And, and we did this with a group recently, where like like super team, they're number one in their market share. Yeah. They've been doing it for a number of years, heaps of experience. And I looked at their morning routine. I was there at seven in the morning in their offices, yeah. and I was there till about one o'clock in the in the afternoon. Yeah. And I gave them some ideas, and one of them is you go straight from this meeting into the the snake pit of calls. Yeah. And I said, why don't you just take ten minutes? Yeah. And everyone just get really clear. What am I doing when I get in there? Yeah. Right. And if you get totally clear on what it is that you're going to do, surely you're going to be more effective. Yeah. Then someone puts their hand up. Who's a very senior person? And said the best I've ever seen at this used to finish the meeting. He'd sit down for 10 to 15 minutes, he'd develop a plan, and then he would just go. Yeah. Like with total energy. And I think that it's something I've seen with your team. Yeah. You know, this idea of whether it's a call plan. This, this, this guy's I interviewed the other day, we talked about prospecting last week, gets in the office at eight o'clock. Him and his offside are 15 minutes. What's our plan today? Who do we need to get in touch with? And then nothing interrupts that. That's right. And we have some of them. We call it, by the way, we call it sharpening the axe. Yeah, okay. It's the Einstein thing, you know, if you asked Einstein how he was going to chop down a tree, he had eight hours, he'd said he'd spend seven hours sharpening the axe and an hour chopping down the tree. It's like fail to plan, plan to fail. I mean, how much do I sound like David Brent right now? But it's so important, yeah. that planning. Yeah. And when you've got a leader who's been there and done it, yeah. a Sherpa, you know, like you would ask a Sherpa, what's the plan? Yeah, yes, Like we're climbing right. Everest. Have you been here before? Yeah, I've done it 50 times. It's my job. All right, how are we going to do this next stage? Yeah. Like, it's just, and you do get the old person who says, like, you know, push back a little bit. I don't, and when you have somebody like that, I think you can turn around and say, just remind me of your goals yep. and what part I can play in helping you achieve them. And that's where they'll say, listen, I'm kind of looking to do X, Y, Z, and it would be good if you just checked in with me twice a week instead or just, all right, no worries. Well, it's the grow model, right? The grow model is goal, reality, yeah. right? Opportunity or options and then way forward. Yeah. And the biggest mistake I see with people when we're trying to coach them in the grow model is they forget the goals. They forget, start big picture. Mm-hmm. Start with what we're trying to achieve. But I think, I think that idea of just coming back to that planning and as you said, you've done it before. How do we, how do we best do it? And I think sometimes these, with salespeople, we become leaders and then we just think, because a lot of our clients... The salespeople get paid really well. Some of you are listening who are salespeople and it's almost you're left to your own devices. That's right. And I think a lot of our salespeople who become leaders think that the people that they're leading and managing think like them yep. and are as motivated as them and take advice like them and they're similar, but they're not. And that's why is yeah. it's really difficult being a sales leader right now. It's so difficult because you, you, you've got to adapt to these people the way you do client. You've got to sell to them as well and you've got to get them on side and they've got to understand why they need to change or tweak this or do that or it's, it's difficult. All right. Um, I'm mindful we've been about an hour and it flies through really quickly. Um, I won't ask you on air, but I'm, I'm keen to see if you can give me a little bit more time and I think we could potentially pause. And I've got one more thing I wanted to explore and maybe make it as a, yeah. a bonus episode yeah. because there's a couple of things I think you're really great at, yeah. um, work-related, but getting that balance right as yeah. well. I just think we could do a 5, 10, 15-minute yeah, balancer if you're okay with that. Yeah. Um, let's, let's quickly finish this off then. We talked about high performers, number one, motivation. Yeah. Number two, they put it into play, so they do it. Number three, that they do it consistently, right? And I remember it was about a month ago, so the last few weeks I've had probably the best 
training I've ever had of my life. The month before, I put it up there as the hardest month I've ever had. Every session was shorter. Every session was harder. And my trainer said to me, he says, you should be proud of yourself. Two years ago, you wouldn't have come in. Now you're still doing it five times a week. And, And I kind of dismissed it but I love that that thinking the way you put it is those those top performers it, it work they turn up they turn up 100% I can remember back in London back in the day there was this day where the weather was really bad there was a mad storm and I yeah. managed to get into the office and there was just me and maybe 50 60 people normally on the sales floor and there was just me yeah. and maybe three or four others and the phone was ringing the old-fashioned phone sets it was ringing and I picked up yeah and I took a call from a client so rare that a client would call in then that client I ended up placing over my career in London, 10 years, maybe 30, 40 people with. But it was because I was there. Yes. And then I had the intention to pick up the phone. So I think by just being there and being present and, and one of the best PTs I've ever had is a, a, a lady called Nikki. And um, she, she was an outdoor PT. And you turn up there at 10 to 6 in the morning in the winter when it does sometimes get cold in Sydney, doesn't it? But you turn there at Curl Curl Beach or Freshwater Beach and the first thing she would do is she'd get out of her car yeah. and she'd say, well done you, look at you, turn, on you, turn up, she give you a hug or a fist bump. Yep. And she was saying, you've turned up, well You've already done. won, you've yeah. already won. Yeah, you, you, you're ahead, aren't you? And, and so then we talk about that idea of your best and your worst being closer. Yeah. And then there's a whole bunch of skills and process. So get better at your craft. Yeah. Make sure you plan and have just genuine intent in yeah. what you do. Is that a fair summary of what you see in top performers? Yeah, I think in the goals really, having goals that are important to them. Yep. I think you'll find a lot of salespeople will talk about goals that aren't that important to them, but the copy and their colleague over there who said that they want to buy a Ferrari or whatever it might be. Or, yeah, but yeah. actually it's finding a goal that they're comfortable communicating that is really important to them. And we, 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 had, a, we had a person many years ago that I'll not mention, and he, was, he, w- he would replicate all these goals that other people had because he thought that's what we wanted to hear. Yeah. But when we narrowed it down, what this person want, wanted was to live in the eastern suburbs in Bondi to have enough money to be able to go back to the UK once a year yeah. and to be able to live the Bondi lifestyle. And that meant he needed to earn a certain amount yeah. and that meant he needed to bill a certain amount. And that's fine. Yeah. Well, you and I get on very, very well. Our goals would be completely different. Yeah. You have very little interest in cars. I haven't though. Yeah, which is a shame. I have clearly very little interest in clothes. <laughs> um, but, but it is different, but that's okay. Yeah. Just find what drives you. And I think... What I'm hearing, none of that is you're a natural. Yeah. Like all of that is possible for everyone to do. The big difference I'll say is that it's easier for some than others. Some people have a more natural drive than others. You know, they talk about Kobe Bryant, this the, the the effort he put in the work. Like he was he was driven from another world, right? To to, to sort of get there. Um, I know LeBron's the same thing. And there's a lot of people who naturally do that. They also had a lot of natural talent. Yeah. Top performers often have natural talent, yeah. but I'll tell you, there is a lot of really mid or low performers that are naturally great at sales. Yeah. But do, like, how many people did you used to have back in the day that are likable, charismatic, you know, that, that, that when they do a deal, the client loves them, Yeah. but then you don't see them for two weeks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right. And I think that was partly because they didn't have goals that were maybe important to them. Yes. And um, yeah. For those who missed that, I kicked the table unfortunately and almost put a, a glass of water Simon I want to say a massive thanks I've um you know I love your company and, and this has been phenomenal for me if you didn't get something out of this you weren't listening go back again uh Simon's company is Precision Sourcing and if you want to see them they'll be on LinkedIn I'm sure Instagram and every type of social media as well yeah. but you do some really brilliant things from from a a social media perspective. And we haven't even looked at that. Maybe that's, that's right, the next yeah. one. But that idea of uncovering dormant talent is number one, a differentiator yeah. in the marketplace. Two, it's very attractive yeah. to organizations out there. But three, you maintain a mind share of your clients that others don't because you decide to invest in that visibility piece and in, invest in yeah the, the new world of marketing, right? Yeah, definitely. I think in the last financial year, 23% of our business was inbound and it came from what we do in that digital world, that marketing world. Yeah. <clears throat> so I can talk about that 100% and that's been a, a game changer for us. If the, it's in the top 3%, sorry, the top three reasons why our business has become what it is, how we've invested in that. And again, culturally, a big shift 
we've got what 31, 32 staff and they're all digital marketeers in their own right. We've yeah. taught them a methodology and a process the same way we talked about the sales process. We've got a digital marketing process that they all buy into and follow and they're uncomfortable in some at times and some of them are better at it than others. But again, this will take a 500K biller and make them into a 700K biller or a 700K biller will become a million dollar biller by doing this and, and they've seen that and they're reaping the rewards. Okay, let's let's take a break. We'll come back in five. Yeah. We'll quickly explore that and then one other piece out there. Yeah. But for those that are listening, 23% is of a very significant business as well. Huge. And, and I want people to really understand that we're talking well into the seven figures. This, that this the is just are. clients who are calling us inbound to give us vacancies, who have seen us digitally yep. and seen that we're a credible professional brand that adds value, that know of us. This is not candidates. That's, yes. a, that's a whole new world again. Yeah. So that's just from a, a digital marketing presence and what we do across LinkedIn, really. Yeah. And when you say some are more uncomfortable than others, fair to say you've been pushing me for a, a number of years to do this. Yeah. And it's finally clicked from our perspective. Yeah. And all I think now is that had I listened to you five years ago, like you told me to, yeah. the business would be a lot bigger, a lot faster. Yeah. So, all right, Simon, um, so good to see you. Thanks for coming on. I hope we can do this again. And, Cheers, uh, Johnny. I'll see you again in five minutes. Yeah, no worries, mate. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. <laughs>